1: Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay
0: Massey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I'm your host Jay Massey and I'm glad that you are here today because at the end of the day, I've said it before, you will never be the same. Like the version of you that's listening to this right now is not the same version of you that's going to be required in order to make your business grow. That means one of the most constant things that are in the world, the planet, your business, you, is change. And we all know this. And yet, at the same time, many of our businesses don't change the way that we need to. We don't change the way that we need to. And sometimes we can get well, stuck. And we don't want that. We want to be change agents as well as be open to receiving the changes that happen. And in fact, if you have been paying attention, especially in the real estate world, you know like I know that change is rampant because of technology. It has is, it is totally crashed the idea of what you and I think of as traditional real estate, whether it's the sourcing of the tenant and how we actually run the properties. It, it What really matters at the end of the day, is that you and I, we stay on top of it. And I have with me someone who will be able to, well, help us do that. In fact, he kind of, if you could say, has written many books on this topic in terms of innovation and change. And his newest book is Leading Transformation, How to Take Charge of Your Company's Future, which is actually one of those important vision things that we all need to make sure that we take the time to do. We're, of course, I'm talking about Nathan, for he's a professor over at NCIAD. Now, if you are listening to me in the United States, I said NCIAD, and you said, What? I know. We're going to talk about what NCIAD is, and you will be amazed to hear what happens outside of the U.S. borders, but more importantly, how it is affecting the transformation and changes that are occurring in business and technology and abroad. With that being said, here's what I'm going to say to you. Nathan is a professor. That by definition means you and I are about to learn something truly awesome. But this is going to be one of those times, you know that professor that you love, the one that you like, that you really want to listen to? Well, that's Nathan. So today, you and I, we're going to go back to school, but also leave more educated as we listen to Nathan Furr. Nathan, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Welcome to class. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's, uh, that's what it's going to feel like, I, I, I'm guessing, because you know so much, but you have passion for what you do because you've written so many books about it. And yet at the same time, you still have more to say. I find that awesome, to be honest. Oh, yeah.
2: I love it. I love I love what you're doing. And I love, you know, the work and, and dreams that your audience members are, are trying to pursue. and And my hope is just that I help them along that journey.
0: And and that's that's exactly what I'm talking about because not every instructor or teacher necessarily subscribes to helping the entrepreneur. But, you know, when you are out there and that's like your thing, you kind of get my attention and I'm pretty excited about that. Now, this being your first time here, I have to ask you the same question I tend to ask everybody their first time here. You ready? Yeah. All right. I tend to look at today's entrepreneurs a lot like yesterday's superheroes. You know, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, etc. And I think entrepreneurs and superheroes have a ton of things in common. For example, as an entrepreneur, occasionally I can envision myself running around town, using our products and services, and saving our customers one sale at a time. And yes, I'm probably wearing a cape at that moment. Now, with that being said, also like a superhero, an entrepreneur has a beginning. Take Spider-Man, for example. There was a time where he was just a kid going to school, doing his thing. Then one day, he gets bit by a spider and suddenly discovers, oh my goodness, I have superhuman abilities. And he gets to choose whether to use them for good or for evil. So, my question to you is as follows. Before, you know, say your books, Nail It Then Scale It, The Innovator's Method, The New One, Leading Transformation, before being a professor at INSEAD, before being a recognized expert in Technology Strategy, Digital Transformation, and Disruptive Innovation, which actually sounds like uh, the the same word twice. Uh, But before all of those things, what we want to know is, who is Nathan Furr?
2: Yeah, what's my origin story? I like that. That's very cool. Um, Gosh, you know, when you frame it that way, it's an interesting question because, you know, Jay, at the core of it, I'm somebody who really cares about the dreams that people have and people getting the chance to pursue that. I mean, I, I want to believe in a world of opportunity mm. where people with the barriers to do what you want to do have come down and your chance to take advantage of that is greater than it's ever been. And so if I go back to my origin story, I can kind of trace that, you know, I, I started my career, in industry, I, I worked, uh, you know, for some big companies. I tried my hand at a startup, learned through the school of hard knocks some things what not to do, um, <laughs> really. And but I got so interested in this question of how how does innovation really happen? And, and so I went back to Stanford to do my PhD, and I, and I did it in the Stanford Technology Ventures Program, which was this little tiny group at Stanford that was. Just at the nexus of of innovators and and investors and and idea makers in Silicon Valley. It was just such a rich place to be. And, And while I was there, I really stumbled upon what for me is a fundamental dilemma. And all of my books, all of my writing are all wrestling with this fundamental question. And that is, you mentioned it at the beginning. You said, you, we see that the world is changing, and it's changing fast, and we feel like we're living in this environment of uncertainty and change, and, and how do we manage that? And and my, my big concern for people is that many of the traditional management tools that are taught in business schools and that we have were, were actually designed in a different era. They were designed mm. during the Industrial Revolution to answer the question, how do we coordinate and optimize big organizations, they were not really designed to address an environment of radical uncertainty. And and so my quest became, what are the tools for an environment of of hyper change and and very dynamic environment? What What are the tools? What are the frameworks? What are the theories? Maybe we already have them. Maybe we don't. Uh, what are the new ones that we what, we what we that we need? And so, for example, when I was at Stanford, I became part of uh, the Lean Startup movement. I was one of the early guys <laughs> in that movement. I knew Steve Blank and Eric Reese. And 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 Nail It Then Scale It was a book written mm-hmm. to make those Lean Startup ideas accessible to entrepreneurs. And, and then and then I you know realized after I finished out that, that that Lean Startup had gosh it had a lot in common with. This other group that I started to, to get involved with at Stanford called the Design School, and they were teaching design thinking, and and it had a lot in common with agile methodologies. And so, uh, I, as I started to look around I, the world, I started to see all these new innovation frameworks, and and I began to ask the question: Well, what do those have in common? Uh, what could they teach us about the innovation process? And and how do we make those tools more accessible to established companies? And that became the book, The Innovators Method. And, and I continued my quest, but I kept asking underneath it, coming back to what are the tools we need for a world of uncertainty. And, and one of the big questions I, I, I felt was still unresolved was how do we how do we make a, a long leap? You know, we all get stuck in our everyday lives. You know, we're we getting <laughs> our habits, we're getting our routines, we're just doing the same thing. And, and it's hard to, to really see beyond that fence of our daily life what else is possible. You, you know, you occasionally have the experience where you'll talk to somebody, maybe, you know, you know, somebody's listening to your podcast and they have this aha moment of like, oh, my gosh, I could do things totally differently. I, I was wondering, how do we access those moments and then start to take action? And that's really what led to uh, this third book, Leading Transformation, uh, through a collision of co-authors, including uh, you know, we've got some you know some comics and graphic novels in there mixed in there too. but that's that's really what motivated it. And uh, maybe let me just say one more word about this theme of uncertainty that runs throughout my work. I, i've i said we need new tools and frameworks for a world of uncertainty. But what I want to highlight is, What's the driving force there? Mm. The driving force is technology. Technology has lowered the barriers for people to create, to interact, and participate, and even magnified the impact of that participation. And so that means that you're out there in the business environment, the environment feels much more uncertain because there's more entrepreneurs entering, there's more New more inventions, there's more, there's just more dynamism than before. But the uncertainty side of that, in my view, is only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin that we have to be sure we acknowledge is possibility that technology has lowered all those barriers, and there's more possibilities for all of us than ever before. It's easier to create software, it's easier to create hardware, it's easier to say, and share your message than it ever was before, and there's more communities to support what you have to say and what you have to do. And so, on the one hand, you hear me talking about what's the theory to manage uncertainty. I also care, care even more. What's the theory to take advantage of a world of possibility?
0: You know what's interesting is I'm listening to you. I'm just going. What he's saying is. It, it's kind of how you and I are even talking right now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell me. <laughs> it, it, it's like the barriers have come down, um, yeah. and that's a great thing. But for those entrepreneurs wondering, like, you know, how 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 do I make my business work? Part of the challenge is, well, the the barriers have come down, so now mm-hmm. everyone is there. I, I have to ask though, because you 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 said something that I need to I need to understand more. You said it was radical uncertainty and hyper change. Um, I'm curious, was not uncertainty and change always present and wasn't in, was it wasn't not always radical and hyper? I mean, is it speeding up? Is that what you're trying to say? Or help me understand a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So let me take a step back in my story and paint a picture for you. Uh, before the Industrial Revolution, there was no such topic as management. There were no business schools. There were no courses you could take on management or being an entrepreneur. But every business was a small business of about 30 people or less. And what happened is in about the 1700s, uh, the uh, technology changes that landscape from a world of small businesses to a world of large businesses. So now you have these massive giants producing textiles and automobiles and operating railway lines and, and that introduced a fundamentally new problem that needed to be dealt with, and that is how do I coordinate these huge organizations? how do I, How do I make the trains run on time? How do I hire people and and business schools were created to solve that problem. In fact, by the way, the first business school was not was founded in 1881. It was Wharton. The first MBA program was created in 1908. It was uh, at Harvard. And yet, think, the Industrial Revolution starts in the 1700s. It takes us until you know, kind of the you know, end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, to, to like really start to create this discipline of management. And the question management tries to solve, again, is how do I coordinate, how do I optimize, how do I execute? You could not take a course in entrepreneurship in a business school until, if you were lucky in the right place, about the 1970s, then it starts to really take off in the 1980s and 1990s. And what's happened is that, uh, as I mentioned, technology, as it's lowered the barriers so that it's easier to create software, it's easier to create hardware, there's now more new companies, more new inventions, more people participating in the invention, creation, and commercialization process than ever before. So that now that that's what creates the environment of dynamism. And I'll, I'll just give you a simple example. I remember when I did my PhD at Stanford going over to Google in some of the earlier days, and they would very proudly show off the, one of the sources of their kind of – one of their big things, and it was a server rack. And what they showed is that they had found a way to pack more computing power per square foot into this server rack and therefore save on costs uh, relative to the competitors. But the thing about that server rack is for uh, you know for for the founders of 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 Google, you know Larry Page and Sergey Brin, to found Google, they had to go out and raise tens of millions of dollars of venture capital to eat, to buy the the computers to then run their business. If they wanted to try that business today, they could with a with a credit card and in a short period of time go to Amazon Web Services and, and just start it right now. That's, that's what I mean by the barriers are lower. Or my friends who are you know in the hardware world, they're, they're just like this is the golden age for hardware entrepreneurs. There's more components, there's more source code, there's more you know everything available to you than there was in the past. And, and, and it's not just you know the entrepreneurs. I mean, by some estimates, there's like fifty million new businesses formed globally every year. It's not just the entrepreneurs, but it's also invention. I mean, you know globally, and we have a long ways to go here, but there's more people, men and women participating in the invention process, whether that's just that they get to go to university and they get to go work in a lab or whether or it's just you and me dreaming up ideas. Uh, it's so that to me is where. The dynamism. And so what's happened is the question has begun to shift from over the past few decades, it's begun to shift from how do I coordinate and optimize and execute on the capture of value? It's shifted to becoming how do I create value? How do I create new value? How do you discover new sources of value? What are the tools and processes and techniques for that? And that, by the way, is is the big quest that we're on, and the that I'm on personally, and that many of my colleagues in the business school are are on, and and that's where I think why you see, for example, the emergence of like lean startup and design thinking and agile methodologies, and and I could go on and on. All of those, to me, are different answers to the question of well, how do we manage the uncertainty of innovation? And and my prediction is we'll have more and more theories, more frameworks. You know, you hear about like, you know, big companies are starting to adopt, you know, holacracy or agile as an organizational structure. They're just wrestling with, gosh, how do we organize in a world that's more dynamic? That maybe the same hierarchical structure doesn't work anymore. What are the new structures that we need?
0: Well, you you actually, it's funny you say that because there's two things going through my head. Um, I I see at least on on my end helping people, you know, start their businesses and that, that that's kind of what we do. And I I see there seems to be this shift possibly back away from the whole large business concept back to the 30 people or less that you were talking about. Do is do you because we we can be we can do so much more. You know just from a phone or a tablet and we have access to so many things i mean two apis late you know one idea two apis later and a credit card mm-hmm. you're done you know
2: yeah yeah that, no you're, you're you're right i mean go ahead
0: uh, well i just wanted to know if that was that that if you were seeing companies in general go b- be smaller and 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 more efficient and still be able to compete with the big voice so to speak Hey guys, thanks for listening as always, and I'm glad that you continue to support with each and every download and subscription and share. One of the things that I want to ask you, though, is where are you listening to me from right now? I know some of you, maybe you're on a treadmill, maybe you're washing dishes, maybe you're walking that dog, and some of you are actually in a vehicle driving right now. One of the fun things that you can do, get some of your time back, is begin to living a car-free existence. But even then, it can be a little complicated. So one of the things that I want you to do is I want you to go over to Zipcar. Go to joinzipcar.com forward slash cashflowdiary. It's a way that I am able to still go get a car just for a few hours very, very simply so that if I have a lot of errands to run and sheets to drop off and running to the short-term rentals or if I just want to go for a long trip up to L.A. and back, etc., I can rent a car for a very, very short period of time. And the cool part is I don't even have to pay for any gas. Again, go to joinzipcar.com forward slash cash flow diary.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like two dynamics at once. So if you talk to like The economists, they see some consolidation around like the mega platforms like Amazon and Google and so forth. Like those have grown really big. On the other hand, we see like massive uh, kind of growth in small businesses and the opportunities around mass customization. I mean, yeah, it, the, 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 in the past, when you had, say, a big automobile manufacturer, the advantage of that organizational structure is it was hard to mobilize the capital to produce those products. Right. And so a big organization was a good shell for that. And what, what what we're seeing is that uh, there's if you can lower those barriers to to create, you you allow so many more ideas to enter the market. And so even big companies now, the you know when I work with executives at INSEAD, for example, they're asking how do I start working with startups more because I can't do it all myself. The the world's right. changing too fast. And so I think I think one thing you know if we kind of got really. Uh, you know, philosophical, one thing that software does do is it makes the world more modular. And when you make the world more modular, it's easier to have more pieces playing with each other in different ways. So so that's another driver. In addition to lowering the barriers so more people can participate, the world's a little more modular than it was. It's easier, as you said, an API, suddenly we can work together.
0: You know, I, I just had a crazy thought, You know how, because you can go, you can like go to these companies and and get your t-shirts, print on demand, you know, hey, I want this shirt with this graphic and boom, it's to me delivered by Amazon, probably that same day in some cases, who knows, because it's insanely fast. I was like, what if we ever end up in a situation to where we have like cars that are quote unquote made on demand where you're like, I want this, that and the other and you can just really Customize. I mean, because you're taking a really, really big industry with this new concept at the same time, mm. and just that thought process hit my head, going, "Wow, that yeah. would be crazy." And, but yeah. yet, it feels like that's where we're headed.
2: Yeah, it's not so crazy because actually, one of the things that sometimes I, I wrote a case about Tesla. So I interviewed Elon Musk and his whole team, um, and uh, you know that those interviews and stuff are, are in in my work, but. One of the things that sometimes people have a hard time recognizing from the outside—maybe easier in California because there's more of them—but it's a different, it's a different architecture. Like, and a, and a Tesla is like mostly software, and, and once you start to introduce that kind of world, <laughs> yeah. you start to open up possibilities for the future. So my guess is, you know, even if you go to a consumer electronics show, there's more automobile startups than ever before mm. because these really? platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many. I mean, you, you looked in the auto industry, like five, 10 years ago, like there would be like, you know, extremely little innovation. Now, like you go to consumer electronics show, I think the year or two ago, I think there was more automobile related startups than almost any other category because wow. those platforms, those architectures are opening up and there's again, more people participating. So I, you're probably predicting the future here.
0: <laughs> that would be pretty interesting if that was the case. Now, you you mentioned um 1881 uh Wharton, 1908 MBA at 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 uh Harvard. Harvard. And I uh, I know for myself uh, I didn't know uh before this conversation and had never heard of INSEAD. Where where did they fit in?
2: Yeah, so it's funny um you can hear from my – so I'm based in France. You could probably guess that from my thick French accent. <laughs>
0: um,
2: yeah, but uh, no, I'm an American, and um, you know I did my PhD at Stanford. But INSEAD was founded in Europe originally to be the Harvard of Europe, and so it was founded by a former Harvard professor, Harvard Business School professor, saying, hey, the rest of the world doesn't have the same access that the United States does. And, and INSEAD has actually expanded to be the number one international business school. So – Although I mean I'm like you you know before I didn't know that much about NCI once you get outside of the United States it's extremely well known we have campuses in France Singapore Abu Dhabi and next year we'll have a campus in San Francisco and our our real focus is I guess point of differentiation is trying to see the world as the stage and what is it what does it what do we see differently if we kind of look at that world, you know? So it's cool to talk about Silicon Valley, but what happens when you take into account, say Shenzhen and, and China, and they're, they're like the Silicon Valley of hardware. What do you see there? And and so that's really the point of differentiation, but uh, you know, it's full of fabulous colleagues like you'd have at any top university in the United States. And, and, and it's been a really fun place to be. It, you know, my heart's I, I always loved the US and my heart's there. But uh, but it's but it's fun to be the NCR as well.
0: <laughs> totally understood. I mean, I think as a business owner, we have no choice, but especially in today's economy to consider uh, things outside our own natural borders, whether that's U.S., whether it's those of you listening to us in Europe, Australia. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. the The point is, is we're all in this one big spinning globe and you've got to figure out a way to deliver efficient, effective service or product. To to people wherever they are. Speaking of which, uh, because we have you know access to so many things, because things are easier for the entrepreneur to wake up today and have a business tomorrow, how on earth does a, a a small business owner even come close to staying on top of or integrating all of this change into their business? I mean, half the time, getting the bookkeeping done is is a challenge oh
2: yeah yeah I, I hear you and um, you know because of my own experience running a startup and then my <laughs> younger brother is he's an entrepreneur right now and and I'm always telling him you've got to outsource your book, bookkeeping exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly so, exactly. so, so I, I hear you um, well, it's kind of a mix of things so uh, I mean, let me say you know, in terms of fundamentals right it's funny i just want to build on your point about taking the world into account the first work i did on innovation asked the question where do really good ideas come from and and wow. this is work that's summarized in the innovators method and in and in, in another book called the innovators dna and we found that the these you know really kind of radical innovators engaged in five behaviors. I mean, of course, many other behaviors, but the top five behaviors, the the number one behavior was what we called associating, which is simply a mental activity of putting different things together. So there are very, very, very few ideas that are like truly radically new. Most innovation is about taking an idea from one context, one place and using it in another. So one of the benefits of kind of just kind of paying attention to what's going on in the broader world is there's a lot of innovation that gets stuck in one geography or one place or one mm. industry, one activity that can be borrowed somewhere else. And then it becomes, you know, kind of a big idea somewhere else. So so that one behavior of association, I, you know, I encourage you keep your eyes open. And uh, since we're talking about it, the other four behaviors we talked about were also – um, questioning, being willing to challenge the status quo, uh, uh, observing, noticing the world around you to see problems that can be fixed, experimenting, being willing to try and test new things, follow your curiosity. And then lastly, networking, but not networking like handing out business cards, but networking for ideas. So talking to other people, keeping your eyes open for those connections. So, so those five behaviors—associating, questioning, observing, experimenting, and networking—were like at the core of idea generation. And 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 then once you have an idea, what do you do with that idea? And this was the heart of the books, uh, "Nail It Then Scale It" and "The Innovator's Method." And and I'd say, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you could try to stay on top of everything and pay attention to all these technology trends. Um, But but I just I'm just finishing a draft of an article for Harvard Business Review about digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And we're writing like we're kind of framing it as like these five myths. And one of the myths is that digital transformation is about technology. And you'd be like, wait a minute. That doesn't. How does that go together? (laughs) How is it not? (laughs) How is it not about technology? (laughs) And it's not because and this is why it's not because it's about the customer. If it's not about a customer need, a customer problem, it doesn't matter what you dream up. It doesn't matter how fancy and and, and entrepreneurs and engineers and corporates, they get in this trap all the time, get a big idea, but or, or about some fancy technology or something, but none of that really matters unless you're really deeply solving a customer need. And so when I talk about the innovation process, it always goes back to how do I understand the customer's job to be done, their underlying need for which they've hired this solution or service or product and and finding ways to do that better is the essence of, I mean, good business, whether you're an entrepreneur or corporate. And so even when it comes down to something as fancy pants as digital transformation, which I teach, (laughs) I don't care about, you know, yes, artificial intelligence is exciting and blockchain is, you know, cool and virtual reality, very fun. But but they're only useful to the end that you solve a customer problem better. And so to me, you know, as an entrepreneur, like just always getting to the heart of that. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, you heard me hint at the fact that I had a startup that, that failed. And uh, we did this women's clothing line. And I used to, you know, people say, oh, who's your target customer? And I say like, oh, women ages X to Y who care about this. And it, it was all made up like that failed because i mean it didn't fail it did okay but it didn't do stellar because we hadn't really gotten deep to understand what customer need we were solving and as we started to home in on that then it started to really become distinctive then we could have, we had a distinctive message so I, I don't want to talk your ear off jay but you know that's the kind of principles that i talk about in the and the in the innovator's method and in some and nail it, then scale it. That's kind of what the heart of that was about. And then and then this most recent book was almost taking a step back from that, which is how do I even get wrap my head around what is possible for me or my business and start to take action on this. So it's little well, more that? So a Well, that's 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 awful.
0: exactly where I, I what's going through my head is because, I mean, today we're while it may not be something I'm. Concerned about today, I, I'm thinking about AR, VR, AR, voice, yeah. and then yeah. you mentioned blockchain, and I was like, "Yeah, all of these things are coming, and they're going to make a massive difference." I have no clue how, but I just know I need to be ready for some sort of change. And <laughs> it feels like they're all going to come at the same time, and I'm just going to wake up and be like, "What happened?" And, 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 and so, how does one lead a, or a team or an organization? I was gonna say smoothly through this, but there I don't think there's any smooth through all what is this one, two, three, four, five different things that are coming our way they're all coming, and they're all they all feel like they're coming right now I mean because yeah. in the real estate world v r has a great application, so does a r and 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 voice is going to help from the smart home aspect for sure and it's already done these things. I have no idea how AI and blockchain are going well I see bl- blockchain is going to just revolutionize title in our transaction process all of these things are coming like yeah right now and it's crazy and it feels overwhelming how does an entrepreneur future proof and, and, and lead through tra- lead like you we're leading through transformation <laughs> and, and yeah. how, how does that happen.
2: So I want to share. I want to answer your question two ways. Um, the second part I want to share some ideas from the book, but the first part I want to. I guess I want to say uh, balance that awareness to what is possible, with uh, you know just to calm you know calm down the nerves of everybody a little bit with. Uh, what? What? You, you, the, you,
0: did you hear the anxiety in my voice? I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, yeah. I,
2: uh, people get really anxious, right? Ooh. And 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 there's, and there's no doubt these things will come, but it's a question of when. And and w- the answer to when is always when does it solve a customer need. So I like to, I'm gonna have a little, I'm gonna put on a little different hat for you than than the leading transformation hat. I'm gonna put on my my technology strategy hat because I teach MBAs about technology and how it changes the world. And I would say, look for the Trojan horse. And you're like, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you a fun story. Um, back kind of around the you know, turn of this, you know, the start of the 2000s, um, Sony was, found themselves in a kind of difficult position. Everybody at that time was thinking that household robotics was like the next big frontier, but Sony was way behind. Honda had already spent, you know, 10-15 years building household rob- robots. They'd spent 100 million. They had that walking robot you've seen, the Asimo. Uh, their competitors, NEC and Omron and others, had a lot of money in, in big robotics programs. They were way ahead of Sony, and Sony's like, "Wow, how do we, how do we even catch up, you know, in this big race?" And what you see come out of Sony is a little puzzling at first. They launch a little robotic dog called the ibo i remember the ibo yeah you remember that okay it it, it didn't work that well it didn't do that much like you'd you'd give it a voice command like you know bark and and it would like do nothing you know and and uh (laughs) but and so you your first reaction to that is like what in the world were they thinking like honda's already got a walking robot that does tasks and they're making a, a a toy dog but but the brilliance of it and, and it was a brilliant move, is that it allowed them to start learning by doing it. it allowed them to find a customer segment who would pay for this thing today and, um, and they could start developing their capabilities by actually doing it, by manufacturing it, by trying and learning. And so they ultimately sold you know, hundreds of thousands of these little iBo robots. They actually caught up and surpassed Honda's capabilities And and when I look back at that story, I'm like, what they found is they found a Trojan horse. They found a customer need where they could start learning about these technologies today. Somebody who would pay them today to use these things. And so I feel like as we throw out all these kind of big, fancy fourth industrial revolution technology names, that we got to remember where that will take off is where it's solving a real need today. And, and, And that's where you want to be playing and exploring and learning. And watching for that, that, that Trojan horse. That oh, that's where it's taking off. Because you know what, Honda hasn't sold. I, I mean, I don't know how many if they've sold any of the Asimos. They cost you know, uh, you know well over a hundred thousand uh, dollars. It cost a couple. I think in the millions. Um, but they're not they're not selling those Asimo robots. Whereas Sony is. And then you know what happened? They cut it. They cut the program. And they cut it because. I think building those gave them the insight that we're not ready yet. The AI isn't ready. The robotics isn't ready. But they did relaunch it this year. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't there a new? Out.
0: Yeah, I was like, I thought there was. Yeah, a new one. so
2: so they're back and they're playing that game. So I guess I would say, you know, for your you know your audience, especially if you think about real estate, I would just be saying, hey, how do the world? Uh, these technologies look really scary from the outside. But you get on the inside, it's a lot less scary than it looks. Look for where it really would add value to your customers today and and just just play along with with the people. Just get involved. you don't have to like be master and owner of everything. partner with people, go to events, learn from them. that's how you stay on top of it so so that's like my my first kind of you know view of those kind of crazy technologies. I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 what I was going part-
0: to. Um, well, yeah, yeah, no, I, and I want to hear that. It's just that, what because when you say that, um, the thing that, again, just my, my cursory level overview, I've spent the most time understanding the impacts of, of the blockchain, et cetera. And that's what I'm most, mostly concerned about is that that transformation, what the blockchain has available specifically for real estate is speed speed that which the real estate market has never seen I mean we historically are this like we move like molasses it takes forever to mm-hmm. transact title and change things I, I mean and being able to move at the same speed as say stocks and equities and and bonds is is literally what's coming to the future and and I think that one little like oh my god, watching how fast transactions and pricing can happen, mm-hmm. Is I don't know what that looks like, but it's gonna look mm. like something. And mm. and we definitely don't have the data, the speed. We don't we don't have the databases for it in order to be able to make the decisions. We're used to taking our time with those things, and those are the things that I keep thinking about. Is like it's not gonna be like that. It's just not.
2: So that's you, what you've just identified for me. Sounds like the like the beachhead or the Trojan horse. Um, that's the real spot where like these technologies could really, you know, hit real estate. And, and, you know, what I would say is if you're a big real estate player, then maybe you want to be dabbling your fingers in there. But my guess is, you know, for a lot, a, a lot of your audience, it's more about how do I, who do I play with? You know, who, mm-hmm. who out there is developing these kinds of solutions that I could start learning from and, and just not being afraid of it. Like seriously, just going into a a conference, or or going to seeing who's developing solutions out there. That is, is it ready for you to start playing around with? And if so, like, then great. If it's not ready, then kind of keeping keeping your eyes out and and watching, like you are. It sounds like the the right approach. You, just as long as you kind of test and learn as you go. Um, I think that's the best approach. You don't want to ignore it, and you don't want, to, on the other hand, like bet the farm today. Um, because it can take it can take some time for right. these technologies to like emerge
0: you know um I, I told people at the beginning of this episode i said we're going back to school and you were one of those instructors and you you're kind con- you're you're engaging in such a way that you make me want to go to school man stop it <laughs> i love it oh man and for those that have listened this far uh, and who want to pick up more uh, of Nathan and understand more about what you've got going on over there at Inciad and 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 technology and how they can better prepare their business? What's going to be the best way for them to follow up with you, find out more what you got going on? Maybe even grab a copy of the book.
2: Yeah. So um, what, one of my one of the things we're trying to put up to you know make more tools accessible is this website related to the book called leadingtransformationbook.com dot com, or you know, I mean, I would love it if people, you know, picked it up on Amazon and left a review. I would, I would you know, uh, that would be great. The, the book, Leading Transformation is kind of the best site. So I, it's a great question. I do need to do better at broadcasting what I do. So I do have a, a series that was on Forbes called The New Entrepreneur. Uh, sorry, that was on Inc. It was The New Entrepreneur. And then I write for Forbes and I write for Harvard, but probably probably leadingtransformationbook.com is, is a good place to start. There's some fun surprises there. I'll tell you about them.
0: Excellent. Now, as uh, we wind down here, I've got a final question for you because I think your answer is going to be different than any of the other 500 answers I've received from all the other entrepreneurs we've <laughs> interviewed because we've not had one like you yet. So this is good. Um, I, you know, there's someone who's been listening this entire time and, you know, maybe they've gained that level of faith that they need to actually take that next step. And they're like, you know what, Nathan, this, this I can do this. I can make. My business happened, and they now are ready to take that leap. They are standing, Nathan, in front of this superhero outfit store. They're ready to pick out their cape and tights, but here's the problem. You know like I know that when we reach these moments of decision, we often are accompanied with a companion that is usually coming in the form of a voice, and it's a voice that reminds us of how it didn't work last time, and, oh, my God, are you absolutely crazy? I mean, you can't even do your bookkeeping. How on earth are you going to do your, your your own new business. How are you going to make that six-figure, seven-figure thing happen? Uh, you, don't you know technology is going to totally crush you? Amazon's going to buy that idea, and you're going to be out of business. I mean, it reminds us of all the reasons why it won't work. And for some people, they're related to that voice. So with that being the case, today is going to be different, Nathan. This time they're going to do. They're going to actually follow through. They're going to do exactly what you say. And they're going to do so in the next 24 to 48 hours. What would you suggest that they do? So
2: this is the heart of the book, Leading Transformation. It's about how do I make company, change at my company or personal change? And really, all we did there was to take seriously the last few decades of psychology about the very human barriers to making change. And there's a lot of them out there. But we could probably bucket it into three categories. There's the tendency to get stuck in the status quo. There's the tendency to get stuck in our habits and routines. And then there's the fear of the unknown. And that's what I heard you talking about, that voice in your head of like, oh my gosh, this isn't gonna work. So how do we overcome those things? And what we do in the book is we just try to talk about some tools to do that, and some of the tools are new and some of them are old. In fact, the most powerful and oldest tool is story. And story is something we've had as human beings from the very beginning. When we hear stories, our brains actually release endorphins. When you tell a story to somebody, your brain, when we use like neuroscience, and one of my co-authors is an applied neuroscientist, and you actually start to peek inside people's brains, your brains of the listener and, and the teller start to sync up together and, and start to become convinced. And so really at the heart of it, what we're talking about is story has this incredible power to change the way we see the world, to suspend our disbelief. And so of the many tools we talk about there, the one thing I would encourage you as, a, as an individual or a business to ask the question, what else is possible for my future? and what what's a story that but with characters and conflict and resolution that i could tell that would help me believe in that so like when i do this let's say for example with individuals i'll have them like sit down and say like i want you to i want you to imagine 10 different possible futures for yourself 5 years from now and and as you write out those futures in bullet form or or a paragraph form like, what do you notice about those futures? Um, what what do you what would you ideally like to be doing in five years? What would you hate to be doing in five years? I do the same thing for companies. My myself and my co authors So one of my co-authors, Kyle Nellis, was the former head of innovation at Lowe's, and he helped take that company from just doing you know do-it-yourself retail every day to like to like literally having robots in stores putting the first store in space, exosuits, crazy stuff. All of the technology fancy stuff doesn't matter. What they're really trying to do is help people remodel, envision what their home could be and do it. That's what it is underneath. And, and in that case, we did the same thing where we helped them try to envision what was possible. In that case, what we did is we actually had a panel of science fiction writers. And we had those science fiction writers craft stories about what the future could look like in 5 years and then we encapsulated that story into a narrative with character's conflict and resolution and we actually told that story as a comic book so we huh. literally my co-author handed out comic books to the CEO of Lowe's <laughs> and we've done it other places we've done it at Pepsi we've done it a lot of other places the CEO of Lowe's who is an accountant by training so not exactly like You know, the kind of your picture to be like, you know, having a big collection of graphic novels at home. Um, And and but what it did is it helped them. The story helped them believe what was possible. So so, again, you know, I'm talking about science fiction writers and comic books and all that. But what all we're really talking about at the end of the day is how do I overcome the barriers to see what else I could do? What else is possible for me personally, or as a business? How do I start to ask the question about what could be, and then how do I tell a story that, that I can that that motivates? And a story that motivates has a character. If you're a business, the character is probably a customer. The it has a, it has a, a conflict, which is the problem they're trying to solve, and it has a resolution, which is you as a company or you as the technology you could bring to bear on it or the solution you could bring to bear on it that resolves that, that, resolves that customer's problem. But the customer's the hero. By contrast, if you're talking about for yourself as an individual, you're the, you're the character. And what's the, what's the conflict you have in your life? And, and then you, you tell that story. And I've personally done this. My, like My co-authors and I, we love to like, one of our things is we like create a Christmas card for the next year. What do we want to have done a year from now? And then we go and map back what specific concrete steps would I need to be taking today to get to that future tomorrow? Now, let me add the caveat. You're not gonna snap your fingers and everything will have changed tomorrow. But if you change your trajectory 2%, 3%, that adds up to a big change over time. And so we all crave like big T transformation, like, hey, I woke up. I opened my curtains, and a whole whole new world was out there. The next morning, in reality, little t transformations add up to big t transformations. And so, so I guess that's the you know we talk about other stuff in the book like you know using artifact trails to like map out how you're going to get there, how to create measures that you're succeeding so that you feel some confidence that you're going the right direction. You can convince your skeptics. And, we talk about, you know, how to get through if you have a real thorny uh, decision maker in your way. How do you kind of navigate that? But but at the core, it all begins with finding that vision of what's possible for you, for your business, and then telling and then creating a real story, a real narrative. We call it strategic narrative around that to get going.
0: Got it. Totally understood. So uh, I like I said, uh, you, you're that not many people make me want to go like, hey, maybe I can take a go to go back. I have a Ph.D. It's a public high school diploma. I have not decided to go back in, in any any further. But listening to you, I'm like, why weren't more educators like you? Because yeah, that that would have been intriguing. That would have been awesome. That would have been a better environment for sure. I definitely appreciate the the amount of depth and passion you bring to the subject and just taking the time to to show your knowledge your wisdom and your insight here with us today at the Cashflow diary
2: oh thank you i appreciate it and uh you know you've got to do what you're called to do and uh, there's other paths every you know, paths for everyone and for me i felt like educator was one of them so i appreciate
0: the kind words all right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean? That means leadingtransformationbook.com. That's what it means. It means take a measurable step of action towards that future. Yeah, maybe write out a Christmas card for the next year because that was neat. I'd never heard of that one before, but it makes sense because if you've already written it out, you at least are thinking about it and you're, you have a shot at making those things that you're writing actually happen and you can do so today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun talking to you guys today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time.